Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We are live. I am Dave, the IT guy here with Bring Your Own Security Radio. Today is a kind of a fun, special conversation for me. The guy that we're going to talk to, John Strand from Black Hills Information out in uh, South Dakota, uh, one of my favorite places when I get on my Harley Davidson and head out west to uh, Sturgis every year. You wouldn't think that uh, that area, at least I wouldn't have thought that area was a hotbed for security, but apparently some of the smartest people in the IT security world are in that area of this country. So we're lucky enough to have one of them with us. John, how are you today, sir? I'm doing really well, uh, and a bit of trivia. You were talking about the uh, the rally out here in August. Um, kind of a fun fact, I've been to more rallies than any other person I've ever met in my life. Um, and the reason for that is I was actually born in Sturgis uh, during the rally. And uh, you know, growing up there, growing up here, and working in kitchens and stuff, I've, I've been to more than my fair share. And if I play it right, um, I'll be born in Sturgis and I'll die in Sturgis if, I, if I'm lucky. I don't know that I've ever met anybody that's actually born in Sturgis. Um, now I've been out to the rally for about 12 years, uh, you know, randomly here and there. And the yeah. one time that I did come out, we came out and had a, a problem with an RV. So we ended up staying up in Rapid City past the rally week. And within like uh-huh. three days of, I think it was that Tuesday or Wednesday, we rode back down to Sturgis just to kind of check out the town. And Every building on Main Street was just about empty, and there was a big sign up, something about a, a tractor show or something. And I thought, holy mackerel! Oh yeah, the threshing bee. Yeah, the threshing bee. Um, I know that very well. That's one of my uh, one of my favorite events. It's actually right out past uh, the Buffalo Chip Campground. Yeah, that's right. where they have it. So yeah, I know all about that. Absolutely weird world, huh? It is. So you get to have a million people a year come out and celebrate your birthday with you. So that sounds like a party every year. For <laughs> well, that, if I if I could, but recently over the past few years, it's right over uh, you know Hacker Summer Camp uh, with DefCon and uh, Black Hat, and I've been there you know celebrating my birthday with our, our hacker brothers and sisters in Vegas. You know there has been some um, give and take with my wife and I about uh, riding out on the motorcycle from here to Vegas and uh, doing, you know, my couple weeks or my couple days out there and doing my thing and then circling north and heading up and just making it a, a, a U.S. tour, so to speak, ride uh, Route 66 out through the south a little bit, head out to Vegas and then um, head up north and go around the north rim of the canyon and head, head up into Sturgis for a couple of days and get to the back end of the rally and come home. I just... Yeah. Uh, Man, I'm not sure if I got that much saddle time. I'm getting a little bit older. Yeah, well, if you do, man, uh, it's rare breed indeed these days. As you know, most people that come out, they don't ride their bikes out like they used to in the 80s. Uh, most people bring them out on trailers or fly out and rent. But, yeah, uh, but yeah that's 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 the rally. But, no, that that sounds like a great trip. So would you also try to hit down in, like, DEFCON as, and, as well? Because doing a Sturgis DEFCON trip would be pretty cool. 
Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I usually show up for maybe the last day of um, Black Hat if I'm not doing media stuff. I like some of the day two presenters that are out there, and uh, at least last year I did, and then do DEF CON for a couple of days. I've been trying my hand at car hacking uh, the last uh, couple of years, so we're trying to get better at that part. But yeah, and then packing up, I'd have to ship half of my stuff home so I could go to, you know, you got to dress appropriately for Sturgis. You can't, uh, if I showed up, I think, in my nerd gear and Sturgis, I might get beat up. It's tough to say. Well, dude, if you want a place to store your nerd gear, you've got a place to store your nerd gear. You just let me know and we'll hold it for you. Right. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, you I, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and, and for those that don't know who John is, uh, John, if you want to take a minute, just kind of introduce yourself and, and who you are and what, you're, what you've what you been doing lately uh, out there in South Dakota. You bet. So I'm the owner of Black Hills Information Security. We're a little uh, pen test security firm. Um, I think we're probably about 80-some employees between active countermeasures and Black Hills Information Security and developers and interns and subcontractors. Um, we run all of our operations um, out of, believe it or not, you, you've been here just north of Sturgis to Spearfish, South Dakota, by about 15 minutes. And that's where I am right now. Um, I was also a SANS instructor for 15 years before I retired. And I taught and co-authored Hacker Techniques, Exploits, and Incident Handling. Um, and I'm also IONS faculty. So those are kind of the big highlight things uh, that we, you know, we don't want to get too much into BIOS because those are always uncomfortable and weird. Yeah, I used to, I remember early on in my IT career when somebody wanted to talk about who you were that all you either heard or even I even was probably guilty of doing was giving out my certifications in my resume before I even really talked about me. And uh, I, I recently realized that that how funny that is or was. Um, and I tried to yeah, offer, well, one year, offer that advice. One year I was presenting at RSA and uh, I gave like a, a complete joke bio thinking that they wouldn't read it. And like my role was managing intern of Black Hills Information Security. And the dude, and it was ridiculous. It was just this ridiculous like resume of John's sole purpose in life is telling people no and stop. He is the managing intern of Black Hills Information Security. And the guy got up and read the entire thing to like 500 people verbatim really slowly, like uh, like the teacher on Ferris Bueller's day off. It was, it was delightful. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that. That would have been uh, quite funny, I think. You know, speaking of quite funny, and, and before we really get into some of these IT uh, topics and security topics, there was a time that I heard a story from you that um, uh, was funny yet uh, head-shakingly amazing. And I want to tease it by saying that it was the first time I've ever heard of a hacker of any level talking about their mother breaking into a prison. And um, yeah. as, as I heard the story unfold, I kept thinking, no, uh-uh, nope, nope, somebody's going to, nope. So if you don't mind, if you can just kind of tell that story in your own words and uh, we'll let others yeah. enjoy. Yeah, well, um, there was, to be honest, it was my mom's idea. Uh, she, uh, she was kind of the CFO of Black Hills Information Security uh, before she passed away. And she, you know, she's reading about and hearing about all these cool pen tests that were breaking into stuff all the time. And we had a handful of physical assessments that were coming up. And she just shows up and she's like, I'm going to do one of these physical assessments. And I, I've, I've done enough of them over the years. I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, she's my mom and there's no way, there's no way I'm going to tell my mom no. Right? And 
her whole ruse, she had to come up with the whole ruse on her own, um, but her ruse was she was going to be a health inspector. Now, my mom had worked food service in uh, the school systems here in the Black Hills uh, for like 25, 30 years. So she'd been through dozens and dozens and dozens of health inspections, and she always scored like really well, like super high 90s. So she knew it inside out and backwards, how to do it, what the sheets were, questions to ask. She had it down cold. And uh, it was me, uh, Ben Donnelly, uh, who was our, one of our interns at the time, and then my mom. We all set out to uh, go break into a series of locations around South Dakota. And uh, she got to prison. She wanted to do the prison. So <laughs> she drops Ben and I off at a uh, pie shop. And uh, it's like a little bit of ways from the site. And we're all in the same vehicle. And I gave her my cell phone just so we could record the audio um, of, the, uh, of the event. And she drives off. And I remember thinking, like, as she drove away, like, this is an incredibly bad idea. Um, up until that point, that never really crossed my mind. But she showed up right up to the front. She said, my name is Rita. I'm an inspector. Um, I'm here for your surprise health inspection. And the people at the front gate, you know, the big bulletproof glass and the doors and the man trap and all that, were like, oh, right this way. Um, and they let her in, and they said, what do you need to see? She said, I need to see your employee workspaces where your employees uh, work. i got to close some windows here. i got car alarms going off. So all of a sudden, the pandemic, apparently social distancing is now over where I'm at. And um, she, she said, I need to see your employee workspaces. I need to see where your employees and, and people here in the correctional facility eat, and I also need to see your nuke. And they were like, what, what do you mean? What's your nuke? And she goes, your network operations center? And they're like, oh, our knock. And she's like, yeah. Which at this location was just like a closet. And uh, they showed her where all those places were. And then they were like, okay, well, uh, go ahead and do what you got to do and just come and talk to us whenever you're ready to leave. And she was left kind of un 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 unrestricted to walk around to start plugging in USB drives everywhere she could where computers were left open. Um, we had a USB drive and it had like a dropper executable on it and had a document with callbacks. And She was able to run around the, uh, the place and plug it in and we started getting, you know, shells back. And that was, that was pretty cool. And she took a really long time. And that was a little bit disconcerting because she was gone for probably the better part of an hour. And we actually didn't spawn any like reverse connections coming out of this facility until about 30, 40 minutes after she left. And then it just started, like, you know, it started raining. And I remember, uh, like, Ben looking at me. It was either I said it or Ben. I can't remember who said, oh, she's okay. We're getting callbacks. And I was like, yes, mom's all right. She hasn't been arrested yet. And um, when she was done, the person that was running the correctional facility was like, well, we, we want to make sure that we're prepared for our next inspection. Um, is there anything we can do to kind of do better? And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's a document on this USB drive. Go ahead and open up this document, and it's a full health inspection sheet. Yeah, go ahead and run those macros. And she got the director of the correctional facilities computer as well. Uh, but it was it was awesome. She showed up. We all had pie, and uh, I asked her how it went. Like how, how did it how did how did it go for you breaking in? And she goes, Oh, it's delightful. It's delightful. Did you know that you went to high school with one of the people that worked there? She and like I don't care who I went to high school with. Uh, how did it, how did it go for you getting in? Um, but, no, she had a great time, and I think it was also a huge thing for her because literally for the rest of her life, she kind of had that one thing that she could gloat over my father uh, that my dad never got a chance to do. 
Um, she always had that trump card. Like any cool story my dad would tell, she always had that trump card where it's like, do you remember that time where my son had me break into a prison? And, uh, you know, it was, just, it was just awesome. That's awesome. You know, one of the, I think two of the questions I ever wanted to ask when I heard that story the first time uh, and didn't have direct access to you would be, um, you know, how weird would it have been for your, your mom to tell you about, hey, did you know this prisoner from high school is uh, – is there, you know, somebody oh, it wasn't you. a prisoner. It was actually, yeah, it was actually but, but someone I mean, that worked at the facility. Yeah, but I mean, and it was you know, one of those stupid things. You know how moms are. Well, but my mom was food service director. Remember, so she knew everybody. She would see him every day. And I don't know, like you know, parents they can always remember. Like if I went to school and I was a senior and this person was a freshman, she remembered that. I wouldn't remember that person at all. But that, that was the important thing. Uh, that's what that that's what really stuck in her head. This is the type of person she was. She remembered everybody that went through the school lunch line with her, and uh, she had that. And the cool thing was that didn't blow her cover, um, even though this person had known that my mom had worked in food service and had been the lunch lady there um, and the director for a long time. And for this person, it was like, oh, that's a logical conclusion. She retires from working as a lunch lady in lunch lady land, and now she's doing inspections. Yes, this makes sense. This is a lady that, you know, I used to get lunch from. Totally didn't blow her cover. My mom kept her cool the whole time. At the end of all of that, did did the prison ever find out what really happened to them? Yes, and that's kind of where things start to get a bit weird. Uh, Luckily for me, telling the narrative, uh, the correctional facility is closed. So that makes things a little bit easier. So I'm not putting anybody at risk, even though I have had some people say, you shouldn't tell that story because I work at a correctional facility and someone could easily break in uh, using that ruse. And I'm like, that is literally the point of me telling the story. Um, you know, all about that polite challenging of authority, polite verification of credentials. Don't assume authority. All of those things are so important. Um, but whenever you know, we kind of go through this as security professionals, being able to step back and say, what can we learn from this larger narrative is probably the most important thing from it. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the true beacons of, of a good social engineer is to, to take everyday life situations and figure With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How you can use them against people and then let people you know, know that it happened and, and educate them and and hopefully make them think twice the next time around. So what a great, I still, it's been years since I've heard that down in uh, Kentucky at the, one of the uh, previous uh, cyber events. And, and it just stuck with me as a story that I've heard. Uh, it just, it's great. Yeah. 
So let's, let's let's move on. Let's, let's talk a little bit about IT stuff and security stuff. And of course, mm-hmm. right now we're all in this whole thing called coronavirus, and we're all dealing with it in different ways. Uh, some people are laid off from work. Some people are working from home. Some people are mixed in between. As as somebody yourself doing trainings, doing uh, still trying to run a company, still trying to keep your people busy, that sort of stuff. How is it that you see how this has changed that? The world, the cyber world, security people in, in particular, the, just the whole big picture. So I, I think there's a couple of cool things to take from this. Like the first cool thing, right, because there's a lot of negative things. Well, let's look at some cool things. The first cool thing is everybody's talking about this as like a black swan event, right? Like, And it is, without question, um, an unparalleled black swan event. But in security, we've dealt with these massive upheavals in our industry before. Maybe not quite on the scale, right? Whenever, you know, you go back to 2000, 2001 with Active Directory, that was huge. That was massive. That was a huge lift. Virtualization was a huge lift. Web technologies, monstrous lift. And then we get to cloud. And cloud was like a reformation of the entire game. And we had to fundamentally change the way we'd approach in our organizations on doing computing on somebody else's computer at scale. And now we're in this situation which is yet another upheaval, but I really think that people in security are kind of mentally more prepared for it than a lot of people out there because seeing this monstrous change is just, I don't want to say it's business as usual, but we're used to it, right? We've had to adapt. You've been doing this a long time, and you've seen a lot of massive changes in the industry. This is another one of those. But what's kind of neat about that is almost always it comes back to the fundamentals, right? It goes back to securing your baselines. It goes back to password. It goes back to two-factor authentication. A lot of those fundamentals are still in play. The biggest problem that I see is we spent all of this time and money trying to develop better telemetry on what was happening on our workstations inside of environments, um, Active Directory inside the DMZ, and the whole push to cloud computing, which was absolutely a push before this, was instead of like an adoption curve, it's more like an adoption wall, right? Uh, You know, people working remotely, it just spiked. It wasn't like, well, that really increased. It's like everybody is working from home. And we've seen just this huge uptick in VPN usage, insecure VPN usage where people are split tunneling, where they're going uh, to the Internet directly from their work computers at home and then accessing corporate resources, lack of visibility. Uh, A lot of people's home networks don't have you know, full firewalls, network traffic capture, intrusion detection systems. And uh, we're, we're, we're already seeing attackers take advantage of that. Um, there's been a number of news stories over the past few weeks where, you know, the, the targeting of individuals that are working from home has gone up, um, COVID-19 type phishing ruses. So we're seeing this huge shift in the industry that is much larger than we've ever seen before. But I will say that I really believe that people in computer security have had a lot more practice than other industries. And we're going to get through this, right? Um, It's going to be very, very, very difficult, but we can roll because information security changes from week to week to week. You know, that's that's all exactly right. And I know earlier on in this, as we started to have to work from home, you know, months ago, uh, a discussion that I had was about, I'll I'll date myself, but the Y2K bug, everybody freaked out Mm -hmm. about it. All the planning, all the planning, and then New Year's Day, nothing happened, right? And now this is the reverse. Nobody really planned for this to be such a thing. And then we had to shove it in real quick and make it fit into the round round whole square peg scenario. So 
Um, yep. Definitely, like you said, a lot of being able to adapt and evolve, and, and that certainly has come about. One of the things that, that I've seen more recently, and, and Black Hills, of course, has certainly been involved, and I've partaken, is that by choice or whatever reason that you're doing it, and you can elaborate, there are companies now that are saying, hey, you're stuck at home, COVID, you might have to change careers, you might have lost your job, you might have to go search for a new job, come do some free training, get, learn some new skills, do whatever, and that seems to really mm-hmm. have, for at least the month of April, have really taken a, a big spike in opportunities to train, and, and I know that you guys are doing it a lot. Talk a little bit about, if you can, what, what drove you guys to say, I'm going to kind of port some of this eight-hour training into free four-hour chunks. We, so we've always done free webcasts, and we're always going to do free webcasts, and there were a couple of things that started happening. With the free webcasts, uh, the, the attendance really exploded. Um, I, I think we're now at over 5,000 registrations per webcast. It's like every week. And the last one that we had, it was over 3,000 um, people live in attendance with me and Bill Stearns on how to build a lab at home. And that's fine, all right? You do that in you do that in an hour, and you have a team of people that are supporting the Discord channels and answering questions, but it's, it's, it's a zoo, right? And we started doing, a few months ago, free network threat hunting training as far as like AI Hunter and our open source product, Rita, Real Intelligence Threat Analytics, and that, that exploded. And that was four hours. We would just do one session. And we would have like five, six people that would be supporting that. And it was just like this team effort. And there were so many people taking the training that it just kind of got out of hand. Well, there was more of a push for, you know, there to be longer form training. Um, so we started doing training like the next class that I'm doing is cyber deception. And one of our goals, whenever we're trying to price this stuff out, is we want to make sure there's two main things that are really, really important. Uh, the first thing that's really, really important is when we start charging for training, that we charge it as a cheap enough amount that if somebody is working, like I, I, I grew up washing dis- dishes, right? We joked about the rally at the beginning. I think about somebody, and there's a lot of these people in the industry that are working um, some job out t- outside of IT security, and they have the passion, they have the desire, and they want to do this, that it's something that they can afford. I don't like the idea of this gatekeeping where you know security training is so expensive that it's impossible for that person to enter this field. So that's key. The other key is we we also want to make sure that we're giving back to the community as much as we can. And what we're doing is 10% of all of the proceeds that we make from the training go back to the open source projects that that we're actually teaching in those classes. So like Doug Burks at the Security Onion, we gave him a check uh, yesterday. And um, the HELC, if you're on Twitter, it's the underscore HELC, it's Cyber War Dog. And the work that he's been doing with Elasticsearch, uh, Kibana, and Logstash to create these distributions to help people secure their environments, you know, making sure that he got a check as well. And then other people like, you know, Ben, you know, Gentle Kiwi um, with Mimikatz, and being able to say thank you as a community and writing him a check this last round. And I really think that that's essential because there are so many projects in security that we take for granted and we never really say thank you. Sure, you may see the people at a conference and slap them on the back and say thanks, but why don't we do more, right? Why don't we actually start donating to these projects? Because these people are doing this on their off hours. They have day jobs. 
and they are doing these projects and contributing to these projects and contributing to the entire industry in an incredibly meaningful and impactful way. And we really need to stop taking that for uh, taking advantage of that and taking it for granted and starting to give back. And that's been something that's been really cool. So yeah, we're doing the, all the free stuff, but as soon as we start going into longer form because of the support, because we want to get back to the community, we are charging uh, for that. And that's, we're trying to charge as little as we possibly can. Kind of our motto on it is if we break even, that's success. Right on. For those just tuning in, we're listening to John Strand from Black Hills Information Security. John, now that you mentioned about you know having so many people, and I didn't, I knew that you had a lot, but I didn't know you had you know several thousand per each of these webcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've somewhat heard about people having problems with you know something like Zoom or any other um, conference software that you know their own personal internet is slow or whatever, but. At the core of your broadcast, have you guys really had any kind of problems with whatever, you know, back end that you're using? But, I mean, that's a lot of people to have on at one time. And yeah. What kind of tech problems have you guys had, if any? Um, we were running on Webinar Jam for a while. Uh, they, we did one on Webinar Jam, and it handled it okay. But it got to, like, four hours, and Webinar Jam just killed our session. Um, which was a problem because we were there an hour early helping people get their VMs and stuff set up. Um, and that wasn't something that we saw anywhere on their website. They just, boom, killed it right in the middle of it. And we were able to move people over to go to webinar. Um, and go to webinar and go to meeting has been incredibly rock solid, um, all the way up to 3,000 people. So we've been very, very, very lucky. And we had to change the specific version of go to webinar that we used and jiggle things around. But it's been incredibly solid for us. Now that we're starting to pop at 3,000, know, we're kind of looking out at the uh, community of, you know, streamers, you know, these, these people that play video games, and we're taking a page from them. So if you're watching what we're doing with our webcasts, especially probably, probably even within the next couple of months, we're probably going to end up moving to a platform where we start streaming over YouTube and doing it that way because we need to find a platform that can handle the numbers of people that are coming through. Because like you said, the, the free training, the free webcast, the community that's kind of being built is fundamental to what we do. And, uh, I mean, even our Discord channel now, I think you go there and at any given time and there's over like five, 600 people there talking with each other. And we really want to keep those communities and keep those webcasts coming. But by and large, we've been very lucky. Um, and a lot of these platforms when you're dealing with Zoom or you're willing, dealing with GoToWebinar or GoToMeeting, um, they tend to scale pretty well. So if somebody's calling in from a phone, they can adjust the quality and they can handle it just fine. Um, just, you know, just making sure that, you know, you're using a platform that a lot of people are familiar with using um, is great. Uh, but as long as you're not using, what is that? Is it WebEx? Is that the one that Cisco has? I hate it. Yeah. Um, I hate that platform, like, a lot. Um, I'm sorry. I'm probably going to get, like, angry mail from them. Uh, but they're just horrible, uh, and they should not be used by anybody ever. Well, thank you to my sponsor, Cisco. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, it, it is interesting to hear, though, because, you know, I, I work for a, a multinational um, company, and um, we're not using WebEx, thank goodness. Um, and we've also been lucky with, but we're only talking about multiple hundred at the worst, um, conference calls. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah. far, we've been pretty stable with video and screen sharing and whatnot, but... Um, I can't imagine three or four thousand uh, at a pop like that, and and just the back end 
somebody's sitting there answering all their questions on Discord or other chat windows, Twitter, whatever it is. So yep. Very good. <laughs> My hat's off to them. Uh, and then before I change uh, focus, I'd like to also mention that you talked about giving money back to these uh, developers and some of these uh, open source folks. And that's, I, I have to honestly say, I didn't know that you guys did that. Um, I don't know why I didn't know that, but I didn't. And uh, that's really cool to hear. So uh, I'm not one of those developers, but I appreciate those that do. I'm a Mimi catch user like no other. So <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you uh, helping me help those guys out. All right. So let's talk a little bit about something like you guys are doing right now. Um, talk a little bit about the Rita project, what it's all about, what, how it came to be, um, and where you think it's going to go if, unless it's already at its evolution. So uh, Rita stands for Real Intelligence Threat Analytics. And the, the whole reason why the project came about was doing pen tests and doing offensive computing, right? It's just kind of what we do. It's part and parcel to everything. We realized that almost every single time that we did a pen test for an organization, without fail, they wouldn't detect our command and control traffic. Um, you would set up a reverse connection using DNS. You would set up a reverse connection over HTTP, over HTTPS. I mean, heck, you can even get just a straight Netcat connection, clear text, leaving the with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Environment. And they still wouldn't detect that. And it was incredibly difficult uh, to do this job and do it right and go to a customer and say, here's this thing that we were able to do. And oh, by the way, you have absolutely no way to actually detect this. That doesn't sit well with me. Because at the end of the day, anybody that does offensive computing, right, anybody that does any type of penetration testing, their number one goal every time should be to make their life harder. And, you know, that, that's a weird thing, right? You know, almost any other career you do, you want to make your life easier. Pen testers, no, we want to make our lives harder. We absolutely want to be in a position where the next time we come back, this organization skunks us. Or if we have one of our friends that pen test an organization, they call us up and they're like, well, wow, we just did a pen test for this company that you guys did last year, and uh, they, they made me cry. That's awesome, right? So without any type of you know, background or any type of capability for detect command and control, if you look at the MITRE ATT&CK technique matrix, if you go all the way to the right, come in one column, the next two, uh, for data exfiltration and command and control, there's just no capability for a lot of organizations to detect that. So we set out to basically create a platform that could detect non-human automated connections leaving an environment. So whenever you're thinking of a beacon or a backdoor, um, you know, I use some analogies, right? The first analogy is if you have kids or you've been around people that have children and they're trying to get a parent's attention, they're going to say, mom, 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 or dad, 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 dad. That's a beacon. It's consistent in its interval. It's consistent in its data size. And we can look at those consistencies in the beaconing interval. We can look at the consistencies in the data size. And then we can make a determination. This is non-human traffic that is leaving the environment. 
And it gets a lot more complicated than that. Um, another analogy sticking with kids, I like to use this one. You know, you have people all the time that say, you know, my little Susie or my little Timmy is a genius. And they talk about their kids and how amazing their kids are. And almost universally, if somebody's talking about that in glowing terms and their kid has straight A's, that's not a genius. Um, you know that that sounds weird and people get offended, but their, their kid's not a genius. They're clearly bright children with great futures. The parents that have genius children, they're usually the ones that are like, you know, they're, they're like jaded and they're on edge and they're like, you know, last week, my son, who's two, uh, we put him in the living room. We took all the furniture and everything out because he kept taking it apart. We put him in the living room with a handful of toys because we thought it would be safe. And we're in the next room and we were hearing pop, 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 pop. We ran into the living room and there he was ripping the trim off the walls because he wanted to know what was behind the walls. Those are like genius kids, right? And those are the kids that when they get their parents' attention, it's like mom, 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 mom. You know, they're doing something different, right? They know that the parents can't, you know, they, they can't ignore them whenever they're kind of varying their interval. And if you're looking at back doors, if you're looking at Cobalt Strike or you're looking at Trevor C2, um, there's a ton of back doors that will try to randomize their interval so their heartbeat is not regular. But anytime you're working with computer science and someone tries to randomize anything, they have to say that they're doing pseudo-random, right? So if you set up that jitter at 8 seconds plus or minus 2 seconds, or 10 seconds plus or minus 2 seconds, it means it's going to be anywhere between 8 and 12 seconds. And what happens with kind of that range of 8 to 12 seconds is it usually creates parity right at 10 seconds. We have 50% of the connections between 8 to 10 and 50% between 10 to 12. And yet you can still detect those non-human connections uh, by doing that type of analysis. So the, under the hood, Rita uses MADMOM, medium average distribution of the mean, which is a cousin to k-means clustering. Um, but we do that type of statistic analysis to find those connections leaving an environment that are automated, non-human connections. Um, it can be update servers, absolutely. Um, you can go through and you can whitelist in Rita. But you can also um, you know, find a lot of very interesting things like IoT devices or um, let's, you know, IoT devices and rogue access leaving the environment to bypass filters, you know, like log me in, uh, team viewer, things like that. And we detect those things. And then Rita for Spice also checks long connections. It does blacklist checks. It does URL analysis. It does JAW3 analysis on bro logs. It slices, it dices. It's pretty much kind of uh, your starting point for doing network threat hunting and anomaly detection. And it's free, completely free. It doesn't cost anything. When you talk about having uh, the ability to, to look at those those type of uh, data channels and data streams, um, what have you found from your customer's perspective? Did they even suspect that they might have had that kind of traffic going out? Did they acknowledge, well, we, we think we had it, but we couldn't figure out how to see it? Or, I mean, what type of reaction did you get when you showed these types of things to some of your clients? Uh, was it a, you know, holy macro come to Jesus moment? Or um, was it symbiotic in some way? It, it, it's kind of the holy moly um, uh, situation where people, when you start saying, okay, you've got this particular internal IP address, um, this internal IP address is currently uh, streaming, you know, eight hours a day videos from this, uh, uh, this website in India. It's Bollywood videos. Okay, that's kind of eye-opening. 
Um, you have this particular video camera that was purchased because it was cheap. Um, it's beaconing back to China like, like every minute. Um, and people start getting uncomfortable because that is literally their security system. Um, if you remember a few years ago, uh, there was a video series of video cameras that had back doors, in, and we were detecting that customer networks before um, it kind of made the news. So you start seeing a lot of those things, and then you start seeing, like I said, HR violations where people are using, um, they're using LogMeIn, TeamViewer, um, a whole bunch of different tools, remote desktop to communicate to get home so they can bypass any of the filtering that they have at work. And the stuff just keeps going, right? It just keeps going again and again and again. And ultimately, um, organizations, whenever you start opening their eyes, it's kind of like turning on the light switch and seeing cockroaches. Um, there is absolutely that kind of aha moment. Um, and it's funny because when you first start looking at the, the systems that are beaconing, they'll start saying, oh, my gosh, look at this. This is all false positives. And while they're not malware, they're absolutely not false positives. It's a really weird thing to say, and, and people justifiably freak out anytime you say that this particular product has no false positives. And Rita doesn't have false positives. If it, if it flags it, it's automated uh, communication. It may not be malware. Um, it absolutely may not be malware. That is true. But you definitely have an automated connection that you need to review. And I think that that really helps people develop a much better understanding of their networks. And ultimately, at the end of the day, computer security is all about understanding things, right? It's not about buying a specific product and being able to, um, it's not about a specific product and being able to implement that product and you're secure. It's about knowing and understanding your endpoints. It's about knowing and understanding your network traffic. And this is just one of those tools that provides you better visibility into what's going on with your network traffic and your environment. That is amazing. I know that uh, I, I started poking around with it not too long ago, just a few months. And um, I tried it at home to see what at my house was trying to, to talk outbound. And uh, I found something I wasn't expecting. And then when I took it to our office and uh, plugged it in and started running some of, on a VM and pointing it at uh, some of our internal stuff and then going to my boss, um, I, I briefly had that. Oh, that's a false positive uh, from our network engineers. And then when I showed them why it wasn't, then we, we had – one of those oh my moments as well. So, um, yeah, I think my favorite customer. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying hats off for that tool because it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, my favorite aha moment in any of our customers was we had a customer that was um, um, we were running it at the edge of their network, and we saw that every one of their workstations, something like twenty thousand endpoints was beaconing back to this IP address. It was like 9.7.12.something.something. And it, every single system was doing it like every five minutes. And the IP address it was beaconing to was a DOD IP address on the Internet. So I went to the customer. I'm like, hey, we noticed that every single one of your systems is beaconing to this DOD IP address. This is interesting. And immediately there were some people that I talked to at that organization that kind of freaked out, justifiably so. Um, and they were worried that they were hacked by DOD NSA. And I've done cyber offensive operations for the United States government, and number one rule is, yeah, you never have your beacon come back to DOD IP space. It's stupid. That's not how the government's going to hack you at all. So we're sitting there, and we start investigating it, and we trace it back to this one executable on the workstations, and it's like their, I don't know, their HR time system or whatever it is. 
And we sit down with the developer of that application because it's an in-house developed app. And we're like, so we notice that your app every five minutes is communicating back to this IP address. Does this mean anything to you? And he looks at it and he goes, huh, well, that's just weird. I'm like, well, yeah, I know, right? It's weird. He goes, no, that number is the current version of our product. So when they were developing the product, they messed up. And instead of it going to an IP address and getting its version number to check for updates, they screwed up the version number and the IP address. And it was literally going to DOD IP addresses again and again and again and giving the current IP uh, address of the update server. So that was one of those aha moments. Uh, for a customer that was just like, this is really, really, really cool. I still like to think that there's somebody that works at Department of Defense that's like, oh, we're under attack again by this organization. It's a DOS flood. And they keep giving us an internal IP address of an update server. Uh, but that was probably my favorite customer aha moment. Well, that, you know, I, I can't even imagine. I was, I would, as you were telling that story, I was envisioning, you can already tell me it's like a, a, a global time box out of the Navy or something silly or easy, right? And and then what you said yeah. is something easy, human error, which is unfortunately very common in, in code writing. Um, oh, absolutely. It, it's amazing what what type of data can flow in and out. So, yeah, having that, that tool, um, I, I can admit that I haven't fully implemented what it can do, uh, but that's coming soon to a, a Dave near you because that's... Uh, it's been a highly awesome. educational piece of software for me so far. So outstanding. Fantastic. You, you mentioned it. when we were talking about um, your presentations and, and the reader project and some of the data exfiltration. And one of the topics that I've randomly heard discussed over the last year um, it has been uh, DNS over HTTP or HTTPS and, mm -hmm. and how it's becoming a, a more common um, threat actor mode to encrypt their traffic or hide where things are, are talking to. Um, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, if you're not decrypting your traffic at the edge, you're, you're kind of stuck. You're not going to see any of this anyway. Um, and there's a couple of common DNS structures, public structures like Google and Cloudflare and others. But what am I missing or what is the security world as a whole missing when it comes to the topic of DNS? DNS over HTTP, are we are we missing the boat here somehow, or is is it much ado about nothing? No, I, I definitely think it is absolutely something. I mean, if you look at a tremendous amount of our infrastructure monitoring, um, it is basically blocking things based on IP address, blocking things based on hostname. Um, if you look at trying to protect uh, workers on the inside of an environment, um, we want to block ads, right? And ultimately, when you're looking at DNS over HTTP, you'll hear a lot of people in the industry say, well, it's about privacy. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. They, 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 they want the spice to flow, right? They want to be able to get ads to, to, to people, right, regardless of whether or not they're at work. And they want to be able to shut down the ability for people to see DNS traffic and shut down those DNS queries, and they're taking that control away from organizations. And from that perspective, it's total and complete. You know, it's, it's just garbage. I, I just do not believe it. And I know there's a lot of people that believe in the privacy angle, and I get that. But ultimately, what it's trying to do is making sure that those ads can be delivered, right? And I know there's people that will disagree with me, and I, I, I totally understand and respect those types of opinions. But 
what does it mean to the ground security person? It means that we've lost this area of visibility that was so key, so key to everything that we did. Now, granted, we should have never have built our house on that quicksand, but we did. And we need to have that visibility, right? And you can try to do it with Sysmon. That's not going to work. Uh, Sysmon is not going to log the uh, it's not going to log the DNS lookup because it's not going through those particular APIs. Um, you can try to do full SSL TLS and, uh, interception. Many organizations don't do that just because of privacy concerns, setting aside the whole TLS 1.3 issue um, that we have with some organizations decrypting it on the outside of the network. So you can still get some good visibility, right? We, not all hope is lost because you'll still be able to see the IP address endpoints. You'll still be able to see um, you know, the SSL TLS uh, transfer, so your JAW tree um, and doing fingerprinting on that, uh, that part will still be in place. But it's going to require organizations to do a couple of different things, probably all at the same time. Block the endpoints that allow you to do DHCP, or sorry, DNS over HTTP, shutting that down, right? Blocking those. And then also making sure that you have the alternative visibility with the TLS SSL and, uh, inspection to be able to see inside those packets and still get access to that data. And it's going to require us using that Brozeek style analysis where we can actually get that TLS certificates and fingerprinting those TLS and SSL communication pairs using things like JAW3. So this gets more difficult, um, but there are tools at our disposal. And I think as on a broader front in security, we need to start having conversations about things like this. We need to start having conversations about browsers and how advertising is actually done um, you know, browsers like Brave. There's a lot of really cool things that are out there. But as security professionals, we have to have, have to have some very difficult conversations. One of the things I'm constantly trying to push is internet whitelisting for corporate computer systems, uh, trying to whitelist what sites people go to. And if they try to go to a website that, um, if they're trying to go to a website that is um, uh, like on that, you know, uncategorized list, just blocking them um, or doing what Piehole does, which pops up and says, hey, you're trying to go to a website that uh, I, I have no idea what its category is. Are you sure you want to proceed doing those types of things? But it's going to require us doing a lot of things right very, very quickly. Um, and I also know whenever you're dealing with, you know, DNS over HTTPS, you just look at home users, right? I have teenagers, and I try to restrict where my teenagers go on the Internet because I'm not a bad father. And that blows a hole right through it. Um, so much so that I've been using, I've been literally using Rita at home, very similar to you, to do some monitoring of traffic. And sure enough, I caught one of my kids that was using DNS over HTTPS. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a struggle all the way around, no question. It is. I, I've been trying to bring this topic up at work um, amongst even my own peers. And yeah, I get the hands in the air like, well, there's nothing we can do about it kind of uh, mentality, and and I'm certainly trying to break that mentality as well. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll keep, we'll keep the, the fight going and, and uh, see what we can do from a corporate perspective. I haven't considered the Absolutely. whole whitelisting. So our company does a whitelist, blacklist deal, um, but uh, in the uncategorized uh, area, we haven't necessarily blocked that traffic entirely. So that's an interesting take that I'm yeah. going to – Look at how it affects us well, and, and see it, if I can get away with that. So, and there's a couple of interesting questions. Now we're running quote, low on time. But if it's uncategorized, it means that, you know, Cisco, Umbrella, or OpenDNS, or whoever has never seen it before. That's telling in and of itself, right? 
And then if you have people like, well, I need to go to this website because, you know, it's a website for cats and I love cats, whatever. For a lot of that personal surfing, people, people use their phones. Um, they don't need to be using corporate assets for that type of surfing. I agree. That, that's, yeah, that's entirely, that's entirely a whole new conversation for a lot of companies, I think. Um, but uh, I think now, of course, too, uh, going back to the, the topic about coronavirus, um, a follow-up that this conversation has brought up in my brain is, you know, what what do you think or what do you envision changing from maybe global, U.S., whatever, from a company level? You know, a lot of companies said, well, if you're not here at work working, you're not doing anything. But now they had to let people go home and work. And or the way I talked about split tunneling and people can now kind of see things on the Internet at home that they might not be able to see at work or – you know, some companies have clients on their laptops, that sort of thing. But how do you think this whole evolution has changed or will continue to change from that perspective, from what we should allow and what we shouldn't allow? I think it's going to accelerate what we already did, right? Um, you know, the whole cloud computing moving into, if we're playing buzzword bingo, moving into um, zero trust models. And those were always the right models where you do not trust the network. Um, it's going to go, you know, the endpoint and the cloud endpoint are the only two things that really matter. And you're going to see that endpoint protection and cloud-based management of that endpoint protection be that much more important. So, you know, we all laughed, and I, I was one of these people, where, you know, well, you know, we're going to put this endpoint security agent, and then you're going to manage it in the cloud. And people are like, I'm not going to let my security be managed out in the Internet. Now you have to, right? Um, because a lot of those systems aren't talking to an internal server all the time. And then you're, the other thing is, if we're looking at network traffic, one of the things that we're talking about a lot um, with the RITA project is Zeek Agent, um, getting network telemetry off of the endpoint so that we can do that type of beaconing analysis on it. Um, the Zeek Agent is going to be huge. Um, that's coming out here shortly. They already got it, I think, for Linux. And then the other thing is, you know, looking at Sysmon, um, Event ID 3 for network connections and being able to do beaconing analysis there. So everything's going to the endpoint. Everything's going to the cloud. It's just now hyper-accelerated, and we've got to be vigilant. vigilant. <laughs> right on. And if, again, for those of you just tuning in and, and missed most of this, we're talking with uh, John Strain from Black Hills Information Security. And we've got a few minutes left and a lot more to talk about. So I don't know that we're going to get to everything, John, and hopefully uh, somewhere in the future you and I will get back together again on, on a lot of these topics. But – I, I saw a quote from you. I think the quote might be a year or two old, um, talking about blockchain. And back then, you um, the the quote was um, ambiguous as to, at least ambiguous to me, I should say, about what you think blockchain will mean to IT um, and how adoption you think will will come into play, if at all. So, mm -hmm. since whatever a couple of years ago to now, has blockchain. Um, you know, integrated with IT or security as much as you expected, not as much, what you hope for? Oh, it's just, just the perfect amount. Um, I fundamentally believe that blockchain is one of the most transformative, fundamentally disruptive technologies um, that's ever come down the pipe. But I can't see an application for it beyond cryptocurrencies. Um, when you're talking about um, – when you're talking about – what blockchain is really good for is it is really good for the concepts of a general ledger and transferring funds. And I love the idea of decentralized currency 
especially whenever you talk about third world countries with unstable governments. And if you're someone working there, where do you put your money, right? And if you can develop and work in an environment that allows you to sell things and, and kind of that cryptocurrency is part of it, that opens up a tremendous amount of freedom uh, for commerce to happen in a lot of places where banks just won't go. Now, granted, there's a lot of crime that goes with that, but I think that that idea of that decentralized currency and exchange direct between individuals is, 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 is monstrously transformative. However, uh, everybody's trying to use blockchain all over the place. Like, we're going to use blockchain for security. We're going to use blockchain for databases. We're going to use blockchain for all these different things. And honestly, uh, blockchain just does not work for a lot of those things. Um, it doesn't work better than a database for database transactions and, you know, availability. Uh, there's, a, there's a security professor out of Harvard. I think his main, name is Minkins, Minchkins, Minkins. Um, and he's like, there are engineers at Amazon and Microsoft and at Google that are losing a tremendous amount of sleep about database and availability and uptimes and all those things. And uh, they're really, really smart people, and they're developing these databases all the time. Blockchain is not going to come and solve that. And then when you start looking at um, other types of uh, cryptocurrencies, you start looking at Ethereum, and you start looking at smart contracts. Um, you know, the whole goal of smart contracts is we're going to remove the humans uh, from transactional uh, inter interactions. And you know what? Sometimes you want humans in a loop, uh, especially when things go sideways, to be able to fix things. You don't want to completely fork your project because of one bad transaction. Um, so I really think it is transformative. I really think it's something that's amazing. I think that if we look forward in the future, that's where we're going. But as far as using it for day-to-day, -day, like databases or health records or all those things, I just think that what you're seeing is a tremendous amount of snake oil where people are selling buzzwords to other people that know nothing about IT. It sounds good to the people with money and they're investing money into it. That's, and once again, I know I'll probably get hate mail for that, but that's honestly how I see it. That's okay. A little bit of hate mail keeps everybody's blood going. So that's Yeah, that's absolutely. Good. Let's talk a little bit about what you guys have coming up before we get to the end of this hour. Uh, of course, you guys are the um, wonderful host of uh, the Wild West Hacking Fest, which is a great name out there in Deadwood, which is another great uh, Sturgis area city to go hang out in. And um, mm -hmm. this year, of course, Corona, everybody's not allowed to go in groups. I know it's a little early in the year, but do you see, I mean, clearly you're able to do this online if you think you need to, but... Is your goal still right now, you think, for 2020 to make that an in-person event? Yeah, we still want to try to make it an in-person event in September, at the end of September. Um, right now, as to whether or not it's going to happen ground-based or not, flip a coin. Um, but there isn't nearly the level of frustration and hand-wringing and worry that we had uh, for San Diego because we're ready to take this virtually. Um, we've done it before. We'll do it again, and it went very, very, very well. So we're hoping for the best, but we're completely and utterly prepared for the worst. And that's that's kind of where we're sitting right now. Well, I've seen some of the uh, speaker lineup that you guys have already uh, promoted and uh, and the folks that will be out there, including your own people internally that will be presenting is uh, always a good lineup. You can't never go wrong and uh, get to go out and see Mount Rushmore as well. So it's a great area of the country to be in if you haven't been out there to uh, the South Dakota Arizona, Utah, North Dakota, even if you want to drive north and have some fun. Uh, I say that. Mm -hmm. I, I tried to drive north on the motorcycle, and I'm not sure we made it to the North Dakota state line when I finally said, 
there's nothing here to see. Let's go back. Uh, so that's kind of a kind of a boring drive, to be fair. But yeah. All right, well, uh, John. Is there anything that uh, that you wanted to talk about, or anything you guys have going on out there that we didn't talk about that you want to share? No, nothing. Just uh, be sure to check out our webcast. Register for them, as you mentioned. We don't we don't put a hard sell or try to sell people on stuff. We uh, uh, basically just try to do incredibly high quality free training um, every single week uh, for people, and uh, that's just that's just what we're all all about. Yep, and that's uh, BlackHillsInfoSec.com for those of you that may not know. Also, get out onto uh, YouTube and look up uh, Black Hills Information Security for their channel. Subscribe. Just about everything you guys ever have done free in the last at least year or so is there. I mean, four or five hours worth of training at any one video. So for those of you that didn't know that, if you miss something that they're doing, it's out there on YouTube. So go check that out as well. John, man, I can't say how much I appreciate coming out here and or coming out here. I'm, I'm already acting like I'm out there. Well, I confess, but uh, I appreciate you coming on today and talking about this stuff and uh I just love hearing that story about your mom. That's so great. I, I just now we all have a standard. If we can't break into a prison, we're just not good enough. Very cool. Very good. All right, that's uh, John Strand from Black Hills Information Security. John, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Bye. Right, thank you. All right, and for the rest of you guys, uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Bring Your Own Security Radio. I am Dave, the IT guy, and uh, we are going to be. Oh, there's some. Uh, the music we're fading out all right thanks again for tuning in we appreciate your time appreciate your effort and uh next week we'll be doing this all over again tune in thanks a lot i am dave the it guy